Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. So much, Pastor Lauren and Pastor Linda and their wonderful hospitality to me. They have fed me too well. I, you know, I thought I might wear a sport coat this morning, and after the way they fed me, I thought, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I tried to button it up, and I had a little problem there. So I'm going to have to go back. I've been trying to walk five miles a day and get rid of these pounds. My sweet wife and I, I tell people we've been married 35 years, and for me, twice that many pounds, you know, 36 years, twice that many pounds, and I'm going to have to work on it when I get home. I've enjoyed my time here, and I just... I thank God for Pastor Lauren and Pastor Linda because as someone who sometimes, in addition to my pastoral responsibilities, travels to various nations around the world and ministers in a lot of different contexts. I've, I don't know the last time I counted. I haven't counted a while but, a while, but it was well over 60 nations of the world. Preached in a lot of different kinds of churches, different places. I can tell as a preacher when the hearts of people have been prepared through the prayers and the faithful ministry of their leader. And last night when I came, I was so grateful that for this Holy Spirit weekend, instead of people just listening at me, you know, they actually listened to me. And we had such a wonderful uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit that was released here last night through all of our prayers as people across this room prayed for one another and God did some amazing things. And so I just commend them and I'm so thankful to have the privilege of sharing a few things with you this morning. I want to read from the book of Ephesians a few verses that are found in the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading with the 19th verse. The book of Ephesians is one of the most profoundly doctrinal books in the Bible. I've been studying the Bible a long time. If you understand everything in the book of Ephesians and you think you have it all figured out, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee the next time I come through Santa Maria. Because I have some questions I want to ask you. I mean, it's, it's deep waters, the book of Ephesians. You know, predestination and election and free will and sovereignty and grace and all these wonderful things. But in the midst of that, there are a couple of verses that I felt impressed of the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention today. And they're found, as I referenced, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Verses 19 through 22. The Apostle Paul said... Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. He's talking about the Jewish people and Gentiles as well, but he's stressing the fact that now Gentiles are part of the same household of God. He says, you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And then verses 21 and 22. Take particular note of this, please. Paul said, in him, talking about Jesus, the whole building, he's talking about the church, not the sanctuary, the structure where we're meeting today, but the people of God. He's comparing it to a building. He says, in him, the whole building, that's the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling 
in which God lives by his spirit. He's talking about the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. And he says, we are not just individually, that's true. The Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in one place, he makes a powerful argument based on that premise about how we ought to live and some very serious sins that we should avoid at all costs because the Holy Spirit lives in us individually. Individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Globally, we would say the body of Christ is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then he's also talking to a particular local assembly of believers, a local church, like this wonderful Pacific Christian Center community. And he says, you are being joined together by God You've been called to walk in right relationship with God and constitute a community of the Spirit that is like a building that becomes a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The local church is a lot of different things. I I thank God for all that we do in the church. I heard about your mercy ministries here and it touched my heart very deeply the way that you are feeding the hungry, caring for hurting people. Our church is in the heart of downtown Dallas. We're two blocks, if you know anything about Dallas, from where President Kennedy got shot, right across the street from the tallest building in Dallas, 74 stories, in a warehouse in the historic district that sat empty for 50 years. We believe God was keeping it for us. And now we have a church there During COVID, our our ministry has been profoundly transformed. We shut down for a season, did only live streams. And then one night, there was some unrest in the city. People broke out our windows. We have large plate glass windows in the front of the building. It used to be a loading dock where people would back in trucks. The building was a furniture warehouse. It's five stories, a historic brick building built in 1908. People broke out the windows, tried to set fire to our building. On Sunday morning... We were there to do our live stream. We had been doing it from the coffee shop in our lobby because of the natural light. We, we had limited equipment, wanted the best image we could. And I'm sitting there or standing there helping our team sweep up the glass and kind of straighten things up so we can have a live stream. And I look up and I see these holes in the plate glass windows large enough that you could walk through them. And I suddenly had the Holy Spirit give me an idea. I heard one person say once that ideas are the commodity of the Holy Spirit. Everything the Holy Spirit does begins with an idea. When you think about it, virtually every miracle in the Bible began with an instruction. God gave someone an idea, something they needed to do. And when they did it, then things happened beyond what they could do. God took, as one person put it, his super and put it on their natural. That's a great definition of the supernatural. When God takes his super and puts it on our natural and does what only he can do. And I had an idea come to me in a flash. It was not premeditated. It was by the Spirit. And I saw the holes in our glass. And our building is right on the dark rail station platform. I mean, when the, when the doors open for the rapid transit trains, they are literally 30 feet from our building. They just walk across the platform. We own half the frontage on the platform. And there's a sea of humanity outside our door. And I had this prompting from the Holy Spirit. I told our team, go downstairs in the basement, get the biggest speakers you can find and take them by the holes in the windows and direct them outward and turn the volume up as loud as you can get it. The neighbors complain, we'll shrug our shoulders and say, well, they broke our windows out. I'm sorry you hear us. 
I said, turn it up as loud as you can get it. Why? Because I wanted the people out there who knew what had happened, I wanted them to sense our spirit, that we weren't mad, we weren't angry, we weren't bitter, we weren't vindictive, that we weren't intimidated. (laughs) I wanted them to hear us worship Jesus, and I wanted them to hear us pray, and I wanted them to hear the word of God. And as I began to talk about Jesus, people began to come off the street that we had never seen before. One young lady... We got to know her later. My daughter, Charity, who's a missionary based in Berlin, Germany, was still in Dallas then. Charity helped mentor her and minister to her. She was 19 years old, had been uh, let out of the foster system at 18, turned out on the streets, was sexually trafficked, high on all kinds of drugs. She came walking in, sat down at the feet of the little stand where I had an iPad that I was using as a camera. And as I talked about Jesus, the tears literally dripped off her face. She was powerfully touched. That day we had to board things up. I called the glass company the next morning. They said there's been so much glass broken in America the last few days that it will be at least six weeks before we can get the glass in stock and maybe six, three months, three to six months before we can replace your windows. So the next Sunday, instead of having this nice light streaming in the plate glass windows, it was all boarded up. It was dark. And so we're there trying to figure out how to do a live stream. And the Holy Spirit gave me another idea. I said, look, let's just run an extension cord and go outside in front of our coffee shop and do it on the street. If somebody complains, we'll say, well, we don't have any lights. You know, when it got our... we went out front, people began to gather. One thing led to another. People that we had never seen, never touched, never ministered to from off the street. All kinds of challenges and problems. They begin to come and gather outside the the facility outside the building. And after a few weeks, a man slipped in the back of the service and he came up to me afterwards, very discreet to this day, wants to be anonymous. Found out later he owns some of those skyscrapers downtown, some of the fanciest hotels in Dallas and some really, really, really expensive real estate. And he said, would you mind if I fed these people next week? I said, well, no, that'd be kind. He said, I have a food truck here. You won't even see an invoice. And after the next week, after he had fed the people, he came back to me and said, would you mind if I did this again next week? I said, well, sure, it's very kind. After about six weeks, he came to me and said, look, and it's one of the fanciest hotels in Dallas, an old landmark hotel that's been completely renovated. He said, I'll be happy to feed as many people as you want to feed, up to 500 people every Sunday, as long as you want to do it. I'll have the caterers of my hotel come and cook a hot meal and serve it free of charge. In the midst of it all, God has completely changed our church. But being confronted again with that need, even in the midst of meeting that that human need, that physical need, but week after week preaching the gospel to people who are in desperate circumstances, I've become aware in a fresh way that the church has to be involved in caring for the poor and the needy. In fact... John the Baptist, I'll take a little rabbit trail when he was in prison and he sent someone to ask Jesus, how do we know that that you're really the Messiah? How do we know that the kingdom of God is really here? Jesus said, go tell John what you see and hear. The The lame speak or the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. What was the fourth thing he said? And the poor had the gospel preached unto them. Jesus said, one of the ways you can know the kingdom's here, one of the ways you can know the king is here is because the poor had the gospel preached unto them. You know, I've become pretty radical in my conclusion, my convictions about that after what we've walked through. We've seen an unbelievable release of 
supernatural help in what we do. And I would go so far as to say today that if anybody thinks that they're in revival and they don't have a deeper desire to touch the most desperate people in society, there may not be as much Holy Spirit at work as what they think there is. Because throughout history, revival has always not been displaced by social work, but it has resulted in a heart to help people. And yet as we help people in these ways, we realize, yes, we should feed them when they're hungry. Yes, we should clothe them when they're naked. Yes, we should try to house them when they're homeless. But we also have to bring them into a supernatural and life-changing encounter with Jesus. And I think that's part of what Paul has in mind and on his heart here. When he talks about the local church being a temple. A place where God dwells by his spirit. When you read the word of God, you start in the book of Genesis, it's interesting. The Bible begins in a garden where there is no temple. There isn't any temple. And it ends in a city in the book of Revelation where there isn't any temple. John says, I saw no temple there. Now, a lot of people believe the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Some people think it won't. If it is, it's going to be a sign to the Jewish people in particular. But even if it is rebuilt in Jerusalem, and even if that is part of God's end time plan, and it may well be, I'm not saying it's not, but it's only going to be temporary. At most, it's going to last a millennium. Because when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven out of God, from God out of heaven, there will be no need for a temple. Why? Because there will be no more sin. In the beginning, God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And the reason there wasn't any temple is there wasn't any sin. The whole garden was a temple. God filled the whole garden with his presence. And there wasn't anything to hinder communion between humanity and God. And then sin entered the picture. They were driven from the garden. They could no longer commune with God. His plan had been for them to spread abroad upon the earth and subdue it to extend his kingdom, power, and influence throughout the earth. From that place of communion with God to go out and extend the kingdom of God. And yet, now because of sin, the relationship is broken with God. If you're here today, by the way, and you do not have a personal relationship with God, if you'd say, you know, I believe there is a God, I... Maybe you don't even, you're not for sure, but you, you think there might be and you would really like to know because if there is, you want to figure out what he wants from you, which is a very smart thing to do. If there's a God, you need to know who he is and what he wants because one day you're going to meet him and give an account to him. I just want to take a moment and tell you that the message of the Bible can be summed up in this and that is that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in our place. But three days later, he came back to life proving he's more than just a man. And now as we heard so graphically and powerfully illustrated through our brother's testimony, he offers forgiveness and a brand new life to anybody who believes what I just said. That's what we call the gospel. I'm a gospel preacher. I'm a gospel guy. But as humanity was driven from the garden, they sensed their need of God and there were those among them that craved a restored relationship with God. And so they began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to build altars. In the time of Enosh, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And as a sign of their, their sense of 
sin and their repentance. They began to build altars and God began to meet with them at the altar as they cried out to him. And there were moments when his presence would come at a place of sacrifice. Times that literal fire as a symbol of his presence would fall from heaven. But then it would lift. When God sent Moses down to Egypt to deliver Israel, when he brought him out with a high and a mighty hand, Moses understood that part of the reason for that, at the heart of the reason for that, was that they might worship God and be in communion with him. So when they got out into the desert, God gave instructions to build a tabernacle where he could be among them. On an ongoing basis, he could be among them. Because prior to that time, it appears to me when I read the Bible that prior to the tabernacle, the manifest presence of God was not among them on an ongoing basis. There would be moments when God would draw near, especially, as I said, at times of sacrifice. Abraham had amazing encounters with God when he he took a sacrifice and split it in two and God cut a covenant with him and a smoking fire pot, amazing things, but it wasn't all the time, it wasn't every day. But now God says, build me a tabernacle, build me a tent. Gave divine instructions whereby an economy could be set up that we call the Old Covenant, where his presence could be among his people on an ongoing basis, but only in the Holy of Holies. He was above them in a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. He was among them in the Holy of Holies. And it brought tremendous blessing. I don't have time to tell you the story. I'm sure some of you know it. Pastor Lauren is a wonderful teacher. He's probably preached and taught about it. But the Ark of the Covenant carried with it a measure of God's presence that was ongoing. And when the presence of God was there, it was wonderful. And when they lost the Ark, it was awful. Then they built a temple, Solomon. It was destroyed, Babylonian captivity. But the promise was, you're going to rebuild a temple. They built the second temple. And the day it was built, it's interesting to read that Some of the people rejoiced and other people wept because they said this second temple is not as big as the first temple. This second temple doesn't have as much gold as the first temple. And instead of rejoicing that the manifest presence of God would again be among them on an ongoing basis in the Holy of Holies, they got their eyes on all these other things, on the decorations and the gold and the glitter and the glamour and all of that. And the Spirit of God came on Haggai, a prophet, And he spoke the word of the Lord and said, the silver and the gold are mine, declares the Lord, and the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house because I will set my peace in that place. First temple was wonderful. It had the Shekinah, but the second temple (laughs) turned out to be even better because it welcomed the sun. He didn't preach in the first temple. He preached in the second temple. And then Jesus, when he came, John the Baptist said, one of the ways Father God prepared me to recognize who Jesus really was and who the Messiah was, and it took something supernatural. As John said, the Lord had said to him, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, he's the one. 
And Jesus, through his sacrifice, first of all, through his example, his body became a temple. <laughs> he said one day, he said, this temple may be destroyed, but in three days I'll build it back up. And they said, what? They thought he was talking about the second temple that had succeeded Solomon's temple. He said, no, this is my body. He was talking about his death and his resurrection. And through the new covenant that he established by his blood, his death on the cross, now, instead of the temple being a place, today, the temple is a people. And instead of The Spirit of God dwelling among us. The Spirit of God is within us. Oh, it's a powerful thing. We talked about it last night. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That since that moment, what was reserved only for a few and only for times. The Bible says about Samson, for example, the Spirit of the Lord moved on him at times. But now we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We don't need a building anymore where we offer sacrifices because we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Because we are individually the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Lord makes us a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. I will not just be among you. I will be with you. I will be in you. And I will stay there. He said in Matthew, our Lord Jesus, chapter 28, go and teach all nations, all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. He will never leave us. That's powerful. I've I've had a lot of interaction with persecuted Christians in various countries, including Iran. And I've heard some of the most powerful testimonies. A dear friend of mine, Iranian pastor was shut up in a Veen prison for five years, the worst prison in Iran for preaching the gospel. He spent over a year in solitary confinement. Psychologists and psychiatrists would tell you that a year in solitary confinement is truly cruel and unusual punishment. People go insane sometimes in solitary confinement when they're there for very long. And yet he has told me, he's been released, he's now out of the country He has told me of how that in solitary confinement, the presence of Jesus became so real. I'll never forget, I was sitting in Turkey across the table eating breakfast with him. And I kept thinking, you know, that verse from the Bible of whom the world is not worthy. But he told me, he became emotional at one point. He said, you know, he said, there's a part of me, of course, I'm very glad to be out of prison. I can be with my family, my children, with my friends, our churches that I planted, Christians. He said, but there's a part of me that misses solitary confinement. He said, he became very emotional. He had such a sweet expression. He said, because the presence of Jesus was so real to me in solitary. I'm thankful for that. And yet Jesus not only said, I am with you always and made us a personal promise. He went beyond that and he said, where any two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And he said that in Matthew in a context where he had just talked about binding and loosing, saying whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I hear a lot of talk about the authority of the believer. It's an interesting topic and sometimes good things are said. But I don't hear a lot of talk about the authority of the believers, plural. 
And when Jesus talked about binding and loosing, the next verse he said, for where any two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Why do we have power to bind and loose? Because when we gather together, not just alone, but together, we experience what Paul talked about. We experience a measure of God's presence, a measure of God's power, a measure of God's authority. It goes beyond what we experience on our own. Yeah, I have authority as a believer, so do you. But there's a measure of spiritual authority that is only given to us together as the body of Christ. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, Mark, you've talked about the temple and all. What does that have to do with me? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that the local church is to be not just a, an organization that cares for people's needs, not... not that it needs to be a place where the presence of God is manifest on an ongoing basis. Why is that important? Can I give, give you three things quickly here at the end to write down? I believe that when the Bible teaches us about the church, the local church being a temple, that it's important to understand that because as a temple of the Holy Spirit, the local church is first of all a place where spiritual gifts function. And in one sense, function best because there's the greatest measure of accountability. In the Bible, most of the miracles took place outside the synagogue, outside what we call the second temple. It was built in Jerusalem. And I believe with all my heart, God wants the gifts of the Spirit to function through his people out in the marketplace. I, I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that there's something very powerful about a church welcoming and embracing and honoring the gifts of the Spirit within proper biblical parameters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 24 through 26, talking about the gift of prophecy, he said, if unbelievers come in and they hear you prophesying and the secrets of their heart are laid bare, if they hear you saying things that they know you do not have any way to say without supernatural help from God, Prophesy simply means to say something God gives you to say. That's the easiest way I know to define it. And Paul says, if people come in and you are exercising the authentic gifts of the Holy Spirit within proper biblical parameters, and he talks about that in 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to get into it. That's a given. He said they will fall on their faces saying, God is among you. I have, I have dear friends who are wonderful men of God who years ago planted churches through the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, they've come to the conclusion you should never talk about the Holy Spirit in a public Sunday morning church service. They say that will drive the unbeliever away. That that's not the way you do it. I have a friend of mine. He, the church he pastors, when he went there, they had about 70 people. It dropped down to 30 people. He was in his early 20s. Church was filled with problems. In the month of February, this is a northern state, he brought in an evangelist who was a man that fasted and prayed probably more than any man I've ever known. He was from, West Virginia, or from Virginia. And he came in and a blizzard came through. And they were going to shut the services down. And the evangelist said, no, I've come all the way here from Virginia. All we need is two or three and he'll show up. And if he shows up, things are going to happen. 
they had a revival meeting in a blizzard, had over 40, excuse me, over 80 people be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, including the pastor's wife, who was a sweet and a godly girl, but had never been filled with the Spirit. And that church began to grow like crazy. It's an amazing story. They bought property on the main interstate in their city. It's amazing. But I remember the day. Sitting on the front seat by my friend, the pastor. He's a good man. He believes in the things of the Spirit. And a guest speaker was speaking, and the guest speaker just in passing mentioned the gift of spiritual language. What sometimes we call speaking in tongues. And my pastor friend looked over at me and said, man, he's really making me nervous. I can never have him back again because we don't talk about that on Sunday. I believe God wants the church to be a place where spiritual gifts function. Say, what does that have to do with me? God gives to everyone spiritual gifts. He wants all of us to covet to prophesy. He wants all of us to ask him and trust him and draw near to him so he can empower us to say no, do, and be. Things we could not say no, do, or be without his help in order to meet the needs of others. And as we do that, then we function as this temple where God dwells and lives are changed. Second thing is, the local church as a temple is not only a place where spiritual gifts are in operation, but the church as a temple is a place where spiritual authority is exercised. I mentioned that in a moment ago, and boy, the word authority has been so abused and misused. The most important thing you could know about authority is the only authority in the kingdom is God's authority and it's delegated authority. It's always partial authority. It's always human authority, which means it's some, to some measure a fallible expression of authority. So there needs to be accountability. But at the end of the day, it's primarily influential authority. When people use spiritual authority to try to dominate other people, that's a very bad thing. If anyone had enough authority to make people do what they ought to do, it was Jesus. He could speak to a storm and it would lay down at his feet the waves like a whipped pup, you know, that heard its master say, be quiet. He could speak to someone that was dead and they came up out of the grave. He could speak to demons and they fled. He could make, the night he was betrayed, they said, who's Jesus? He said, it's I, and they fell backward on the ground. I mean, he had so much authority, he could have dominated or manipulated or intimidated anyone if he had chosen, but that's not the way kingdom authority is supposed to function. But as I said a moment ago, there's this measure of spiritual authority in a city that manifests itself and that functions when God's people gather together. Jesus said, if any two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything, it will be done. Here's the third thing as the musicians come. When Paul talks about the local church being a temple, that this is God's plan for every one of us as a member of the body of Christ to find our place. Every one of us, as another metaphor Paul uses, is as a living stone is laid by the hand of God in the place where he wants us in the church. As every one of us functions in the way God wants us to then there's a measure of God's presence and power and grace that's released. It is not just about us. There's a beautiful image in the Old Testament prophets of the temple 
and of a river, a supernatural river flowing from under the altar that goes down and out and gets larger and broader and deeper. And the prophet, you've probably heard people talk about it. Perhaps you have. Waters to wade in, thigh deep, and then waters to swim in. To me, that's a powerful image of what God wants to do through a local church. He wants to manifest His Spirit in such a way that we come and we encounter Him. And then as we go out, gifts have been activated and authority has been delegated by God. And here's the third thing. It's a, lo- a local church. is a place where spiritual destinies are discovered. In the book of Acts, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, said, Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. And after they prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them. And Luke says in the next verse, Sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Calling is the direct sovereign work of God. He calls whoever he wants to, wherever he wants to, for whatever he wants to. He doesn't have to ask our permission. He's not the least bit concerned with our opinion. If the Lord had asked the pastor at Damascus, do you want me to call Saul of Tarsus to be the next apostle? Do you want him to be the greatest missionary in the history of the world? I'm sure the pastor would have said no. I would have said no had I been the pastor. But God calls whoever he wants to. It's the direct sovereign work of God. But God sends through his people. And if Paul had gone off on his own without being sent, from a gathering place of God's people. He could have preached the gospel. He probably would have won someone to Jesus, but we would not be reading his epistles today in our Bibles. Because you can have calling, you can have character, you can even have a message, you can have gifts and not have credibility. And credibility comes in part as God uses his people to affirm And to impart something that doesn't come any other way. Paul's an amazing man. He says in one place, he says, the things I preached, nobody taught me. I was taught by the Spirit in the deserts of Arabia. And yet in Galatians, he said, there came a time even when God was speaking to me. Because Paul knew on our best days, we know in part and prophesy in part. He wrote those words. He knew that truth. He said, there's a day that came that I went up to Jerusalem privately to consult with the apostles. Because I wanted to make sure that I was really hearing from God. Because they had been with Jesus in the flesh. And they would know if what I was being taught by the Spirit coincided with what Jesus had taught them when he was in the flesh. So as we gather together in God's name, and he fills the house with his presence, we don't fall into the trap of thinking that the physical building is literally a temple. We are the temple. And yet we do understand that when we come together and we join our hearts together and we lift up our voices together, that there is a release of spiritual authority that comes when we are in one place in one accord. Psalms 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's like the oil that was poured out on Aaron's head that ran down even to the skirts of his garments. Would you do this today? Would you stand to your feet? You've been very kind and listened to me. I've already gone three minutes longer than I meant to. So I'm going to pray quick and turn it over to Pastor Lauren. I'm a pastor. I understand the need to watch the clock when you have multiple services. We have two every Sunday. I I get it. But would you take a moment and would you just close your eyes and lift your hands? 
And would you say to him that you want to find your place in that holy temple? That you want him to activate his gifts in your heart? That you want him to fill this house with his glory beyond anything you've ever known? Your pastor spoke a word from the Lord to you this morning that God is taking you places you've never gone. That's what he did with Israel. And the difference was, the important thing was that he went with them. He sent his angels before them. His pillar of cloud was above them. His pillar of cloud was above them. And now he will go with us. Will you just in your own words right now as Pastor Lauren comes, say, Lord, I want to find my place. I want you to fill me afresh and anew. I want to help Pacific Christian Center to be that kind of a temple, that kind of a place that God fills with his spirit. So that a river flows out of me and out of us that touches this nation and nations on the far-flung shores and in the far-flung corners of the world. I believe he wants to do that, Pastor Lauren. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.